With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Record Rangers podcast. I'm John McFarlane and today I'm joined by Fraser Wilson of the Daily Record and Andy Newport of PA. Welcome, gentlemen. Good afternoon. Hi, hi boys. <laughs> Good to talk to you lads. There's going to be plenty to talk about this afternoon, not least UEFA's decision to um, hand out a number of bans uh, to players involved in Rangers versus Sparta Prague. We're going to delve into that in a little more detail, as well as look ahead to the old firm clash on Sunday. Guys, we'll start off with um, the, the decision, and first of all, with the Rangers players, um, the decision of UEFA to ban, uh, first of all, uh, Kemar Roof for four games for his challenge against the Slavia Prague keeper, and uh, then Glenn Kamara for three games for an incident that occurred in the tunnel after the game. Um, first of all, and Kemar Roof, Fraser, you know, I, I don't think anyone would say that they would <sighs> advocate uh, that kind of challenge. However, Anyone who was watching the game could see quite clearly that Kamar Roof did have his eye on the ball. He wasn't looking at the keeper. And he's been pretty open about the fact that, you know, it was an accident. He absolutely didn't mean it. Um, do you think four games is, is quite harsh? I know you're a keeper yourself, so you might have a, a slightly biased view on this one. Well, I suppose that gives me a, a better view on it. Right in the back, mm. I, I agree with everything you said there, Johnny. He does have his eye on the ball. Um he shouldn't have his foot up that high. That's against the laws of the game, I suppose. It's a, it's a high boot, but that's all yeah. it is because am I not? Am, am I right in saying he does touch the ball first? He does, yes. Ball, and then clatters into the goalkeeper, which is clearly why that, that's a foul. I mean, it doesn't matter that he's actually got the ball first. Your, your foot shouldn't be that high. So it's a horrible one, really horrible. I think it's one of those where the slow motion replays doesn't do him any uh, favours either because the more you look at it, the worse it gets. I think it was a red card rightly for a dangerous play. What does that bring? A two-game suspension? Automatically? Am I right so, in saying? So I think that's what I think it should have been left at that. Yeah. Andy, what was your take on that? So I think just the severity of it. I mean, we all saw the pictures of Kolar lying there after the game, blood streaming through his, his head. There was that picture of the, the sort of the wound that came afterwards and then you find out that he's obviously had a, a fractured skull. I mean I think you know UEFA you know we're, we're talking about UEFA have got a duty of care in terms of how they deal with racism. I think they've got a duty of care in terms of how they, they treat serious foul play. Yeah they had to I think they have to um make a stand in that and you know an issue a, a punishment the, the facts, I, mean, I don't think four games is massively excessive for that. For if you've got a guy who's left with a a, a fractured skull, um, 
I, I think that, that shows you the, the severity of the challenge. You know, it's, it's kind of strange in the sense that I think had the whole Kudela, um, uh, Glenn Kamara incident not happened, then this would have you know sort of dominated the the, the discussions. It's been sort of uh, left in the background a bit because everything else that went on during that game. But um, yeah, it was a bad foul, and I don't think he can have too many. Um, complaints about getting that, that kind of ban um, I think I think just given that the severity of the injury then I think you have to say that you're going to expect a, 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 a lengthy punishment and, and that's what UEFA have, have sort of meted out obviously So, so you think Andy that um, if you take incidents whatever the discretion is be it, uh, if this is serious football play or dangerous play whatever it is you can still fluctuate between uh, the severity of the, the punishment. I think if the, I think if the, if the standard ban as we think as is a two game ban, I think this was an an extraordinary tackle. It was an extraordinary foul. The you know it's not just a a graze in the shin that the boy's been left with. It's been you know he's he's, he's been left with a scar in his face, a broken nose, a fractured skull. I, I think you do need to make a stand. And in that sense, I mean, yeah, you can argue that the length of it, maybe three games would be enough, maybe four games. I mean, I, th- I do think that they had to go above and beyond what was normal in this case because, you know, it's a bad film. I mean, nobody's, you know, I mean, your Rangers themselves have acknowledged it was a bad film. Um, and, I, I, you know, obviously Rangers said that they're considering an appeal. Whether they go ahead with that, I'm not sure. But um, I just think that with the, the type of challenge it was and the injuries it left... Uh, the goalkeeper with and I think you leave yourself open to getting a, a lengthier ban and, and that's what's transpired Yeah well obviously Roof is going to be out now for, for several games in terms of the qualifying uh, for the Champions League next year and, and Glenn Kamara too after his ban, obviously we can't go into too much detail about that or discussion given the situation today where that's been referred forward uh, by the Proculator Fiscal and it's now a live case um, but in terms of the impact that that's going to have from the point of view of Rangers on the pitch, Kamara and Roof out for those games, that's a, that's a fairly severe situation in terms of their importance to the team. They've got good backup, though. I mean, I would always choose, well, for, for big games, right now I would choose Yanis Hadji over um, Kamara Roof in the front three anyway. Um, I think that's a fairly easy uh, easy hole to fill in, in terms of that. Glenn Kamara... Well, Possibly why, why is that, Fraser? Just let's let's draw into that a little bit. What is it about Yanis Hadji? Because I think he's a terrific player, really talented, and obviously, I would say definitely has more in his locker than mm-hmm. Kamar Roof probably. But Roof just strikes me as a slightly more streetwise player, maybe a little bit more um, physical, a guy who who's good in the air, who runs into very very clever positions that, that causes defenders a lot of problems. He's at, you know he's more of a streetwise veteran professional whereas Yanis Hadji strikes me as a as a guy well maybe in three or four years he's going to be absolutely terrific but at the moment he's still finding his feet and developing his game it's hard hard to argue with the, the streetwise and the physicality aspect what you said there but I think Hadji's possibly got a, a more um, not, not streetwise but he's possibly a more in, intelligent player Again, he can run into good areas. He can occupy players and, bring, and allow space for others to run into, whether that's Ryan Kent with that, that brilliant 
um, rotation that Rangers have in their front three. I just think, even going back to the Celtic games of late, um, was it the the one at Ibrox at New Year? I thought the game kind of turned in Rangers' favour, obviously with the, the red card, but also when Roof was replaced by Hadji, because I just felt that he was um, he was giving Celtic more of a headache and maybe occupying the Celtic diamond that day and uh, stopping them um, dominating the, the middle of the park as much as they had before he came on. Andy, what, what do you think? I think in terms of the two the two players, I mean, in terms of Roof, I mean, Rangers have, um, have coped largely you know, for large spells without him this season, given that he's sort of had his fitness issues. So, you know, I don't think it will be any great um, disruption to him if they have to deal with him again in these qualifiers. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a tough route for Rangers to get to the Champions League. We've seen the troubles that Celtic have had over the last few years. So, you'd obviously, naturally, Steve Gerrard would, would want to have as strong a squad available to him as possible. Um, but I think, yeah, either whether it be Hadji or, or um, Joe Aribo in that sort of wide uh, playmaking role, um, he's got other options. Kamara will might be a, a harder one to, to sort of replace, given um, just how well he's been playing but you know obviously he, he's going to the Euros in the summer and you know there's every possibility if he has a, a stormer there um, then you know he might not be a, a Rangers player by the time these, these qualifiers come around so um, listen Rangers will be getting their, their transfer business sort of arranged for the summer um, things might depend on as you say how some of their big names get on at the Euros that's going to be a big shot window um, so these guys can sort of put themselves out there and they might attract interest so um, Rangers might have to sort of leave it until after that to sort of finalise their squad and decide who's going to be there and who's going to be moved on but um, they are two key men when, when fit and available but you know especially midfield if they can get Jack uh, Ryan Jack back to full fitness if he can come through the Euros okay then you've got a ready uh, made replacement there and as I say with Rebo and Hadji you've got two other excellent options so the, the sort of the one the one line forward when it comes to Roof So moving on to UEFA's decision to punish uh, Andre Cudela with a 10 game ban now that is the the, the, the minimum possible ban that they could have handed out uh, for, for the infringement of uh, racial abuse. Uh, Andy, how do you react to Yefa's decision to not go in all guns blazing and really make an example for this incident? Do you think 10 games is really sending out the kind of message that fits in with Yefa's various campaigns of respect and, and kick racism out of football, etc., etc.? Well, I think when I first saw the ruling come through, I thought, without uh, I just saw a tweet on it, so I hadn't looked at the the specifics, and I saw ten games. I thought, well, that that's something of a statement. But then, as you see, you read into it, and it's that's the minimum tariff that can be applied, the minimum sanction that can be applied. Then you're thinking, well, is that really the statement they're trying to make? Um, I mean, we know that UEFA have got a sort of patchy history when it comes to dealing with racism. Um, if I remember the case, was it Nicholas Bentner get, uh, fined £100,000 for uh, showing off uh, some advertising on his uh, on his pants? And then months later, they were issuing out um, fines for racism against, I think it was a, a couple of associations that had had racist chanting at games. Uh, 
and and they're less than the hundred thousand pounds that Nicholas Bentner dealt with. So we we know that UEFA have talked the talk a lot of the time, but they really haven't walked the walk. And you know, again, this is difficult to comment on because you know we don't have the specifics details of the of the charge in front of us. We don't know what they've considered. Generally speaking, UEFA as a body. Uh, haven't been as proactive um, as some think they should have. Even this case has drawn criticism. Um, so I think it's really up to them to, to comment on whether or not they feel that they have issued a, an appropriate um, punishment. But certainly, I mean, even from Glenn Kamara's side of things, it doesn't seem that uh, he's too pleased with uh, the, the, the punishment no, uh, no. issued. So, um, without what, obviously it's a difficult one. Uh, we're aware that there's uh, proceedings are, are active in this case. You need to be sort of careful what you say, but you know, generally speaking, I think UEFA could, uh, in past cases, been a lot stronger in terms of how they've dealt with us. Yeah, I think they certainly have to start to make moves towards taking this much more seriously when it comes to these kind of punishments. They need to be a lot more stringent. I think most people certainly that I've seen on social media and in Scotland that I've talked to have, have taken that view. Right, guys, we're going to move on to the actual football itself. And there is an absolutely massive game ahead on Sunday that we're all, I think, looking forward to. It's going to be an absolute cracker. Rangers, of course, playing Celtic at home in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup. Andy, first of all, uh, let's have a wee chat about Steven Gerrard and his options for the game. Um, we'll go to the defence. We know that Leon Balogun's out, so it's almost certainly going to be Philip Hellander partnering Connor Goldson. Borna Barisic will obviously play left-back, which just leaves us on the outside chance that James Tavernier could somehow get himself back and fit for this game. Now, we know Tavernier, over the last three years, we've seen often, time and again, that he is a guy that is something of a, a, a physical specimen who is more robust than, than absolutely many in the game. But even this is a stretch for him, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, the way Stephen Gerrard was speaking last weekend, um, Tavernier still had some way to go in order to sort of uh, force his way back into the the reckoning. Um, you know, when he first injured his knee against uh, Royal Antwerp, I think that was way back in February. Um, it didn't look like it was going to be too long the way Jared spoke at that point, and then just over the weeks, it's sort of he's uh, he's obviously had a couple of setbacks just in terms of how the, the injuries played out, and uh, and he he's obviously only now sort of coming back round towards fitness. Um, but the way Stephen Gerrard was speaking at the weekend, it was. You know, he, he had a lot to do to, to sort of prove that he was ready to go into a game, especially a game of this stature, I think, as well. You know, I mean, if Ranger, you know, obviously Rangers have already won the league. All they've got left to play for now is this unbeaten record. But, you know, you know, does that, in terms of the league, all they've got left to play for is this unbeaten record. So does that, is that something that really gets the juices flowing for the players now that they've won the league? So it comes down to the cup. The cup is really the big, the big prize for the remainder of the season. Um, do you throw your, even though he's your captain, do you throw him straight back into action when he's not a hundred percent fit? When you've got in Patterson somebody who is, although young and inexperienced, playing really well and improving with every game, and you know looking more and more composed at this sort of level. So I think. Um, 
I would I would be surprised if Tavernier, unless he's utterly 100% fit, I was surprised if Tavernier were, were to start. I think the way that Patterson performed um, at Parkhead when he came on to replace Balogun will have reassured Gerard a lot. I thought he was really composed that day. I thought he didn't look out of place at all at that level. Um, he's obviously performed really well in the, the few Europa League sort of games he, he's been given. So um, I would I would think it would be Patterson's jersey. Uh, for, uh, has to keep right now at the moment, um, unless unless the captain can can prove that he's back up to one hundred percent fitness. Fraser, you've been impressed with uh, Nathan Patterson. What you've seen so far, he's uh, from from my point of view looked like a real real quality player that's going to potentially be the right back for Scotland for the years to come. I hard to disagree with that. For somebody so young, I think the way he's coped with the pressure more than anything is what I've. Uh, been impressed by first and foremost that that's always the biggest biggest challenge for players that have the ability at that age can they cope with the pressure and it is, is proven that in the European games and now uh, domestically as well that he can fill Tavernier's um, boots so yeah uh, very impressed maybe not well I don't think there's anyone in Scotland through the right back area quite at the level of James Tavernier going forward in terms of his deliveries and his assists but in long term Rangers have undoubtedly got a replacement there and Scotland could finally have a solution for the right back problem as well Yeah absolutely Going into midfield Andy and I suppose this is where the guts of the decisions that Stephen Gerrard is going to have to make will take place Stephen Davis is a, a, a clear pick. Glenn Kamara is a clear pick. But it's that third slot, isn't it, where Stephen Gerrard has a few options. Will he go for Scott Arfield? Will he plump for Joe Rebo? Could he do something outside the box completely and, and look for something a bit more defensively solid and, say, throw in um, Bongani Zungu into the mix? I mean, I don't think that's likely, but he has these options. What, what do you think is most likely in there? I've got a funny feeling it might be Arfield that gets the nod. Um, mm. Aribo has played really well in an attacking sense uh, recently. I mean, he obviously took his goal um, at the weekend very well. But I think there's a concern, especially if you saw the way that the second half, especially uh, against Hibs, when when the game got a bit stretched, more stretched than Rangers would have, would have liked. And you know, we've seen previously that there is this problem with Aribo in terms of how attentive he is to picking up runners and and mm. covering space around him. So I think in a game like this, you really need to have guys in that centre centre of the park absolutely on it and. You know, in our field, um, Gerald got a sort of trusted campaigner. Who he, we know the, the way he thinks, of, uh, what he thinks of Scott Arfield. Um, big fan of him. He's not. He's had his injury troubles. Obviously, he came off. Uh, I think it was an Achilles problem against uh, Hibs uh, back in Boxing Day, and he, he's not. He's struggled to get fully back up to speed since then. But before that, he was looking in really, really good form. Um, so perhaps you know, this is maybe a game that. Gerard will have to sort of trust him. I'm not too sure that Aribo can be the type of guy that can be relied upon to keep the discipline that you need in this type of game um, for the full 90 minutes uh, playing in the centre of the park. Maybe maybe there might be a slot for Aribo, sort of, again, one of these sort of wide number 10 roles 
Um, but I'm not too sure he'll be the one of the guys that starts uh, banging in the middle of the park. I, I, I can't see, as you say, Zungu getting it. I don't think he's really sort of stepped up to the mark and proven at any stage in his Rangers career that he, he's ready to sort of become a first-team figure. I'd be surprised if he's kept beyond the summer. Um and I, I can't see Gerard springing a surprise in terms of the way that the, the, even the shape that the lineup he's he's done that so so seldom uh, at his time there. Um, so I think you know I, I think Andy, we'll Andy I'm going I'm to throw you a lineup, okay? Davis, Arfield, Kamara, Roof, Kent, Morelos, very attacking. Very forward-thinking, very aggressive. Uh, That's going to be it, isn't it? So you, you would have Aribo on the bench? I would, yes. Yeah. I, I, I could see him going for that, you know, because I think, you know, Arfield gives you that attacking impetus as well with his, his energy and his runs, the, the way he picks up space. He maybe doesn't have the technical quality that Aribo gives you, but, you know... He's he's been you know spells this season he's he's been very good again I, th- I think he struggled to get back up to full pace from his, his injury back in uh, December but and I, again I, you know I, I think you know Roof again has, has looked bright the last few weeks so I, I can see him going for that yeah I, I think I think the concern will be with Aribo if he were to play just how disciplined can he be uh, especially if Celtic are playing with this diamond when they've got an extra man sort of tucked in the middle of the, uh, the middle of the midfield and, and able to pick up spaces so um, yeah that'll be yeah. it's on doubt I think this is the big, the big call um, about it so uh, well that's what I was going to say Andy is you mentioned the diamond there and Fraser give me your view on this I saw Michael Stewart was talking at the weekend about Celtic adapting to a 4-2-3-1 against Livingston. Mm-hmm. And he was suggesting that John Kennedy was perhaps moving to a formation that would be better suited to exploit Rangers' weaknesses. And having seen Hibbs use Martin Boyle and his pace in wide areas to get at Borna Barisic with the pace that he with the space that he leaves in behind that Celtic might be looking to adopt that strategy with uh, Mohamed El Yunusi and, of course, James Forrest, if he's fit enough. I noticed today that um, John Kennedy is saying we will give James Forrest until the very, very last minute. And I wonder if this is because they're going to come away from this diamond and try and get in behind Rangers and behind their fullbacks. Because at Ibrox, I think Rangers, the onus will be on them and Steven Gerrard will see it as being a game where he should go out and win. Mm-hmm. It's not, not necessarily going to be one of these games where he's trying to feel out the midfield for the first 20 minutes. I think he'll say, they're coming to us. This is our ground. We are the champions. You know, they've, we've had a couple of games against them when they've had a bit of a, a decent uh, time of it and we're going to show them this time who's boss. Yeah. Right, let's not be a bit of a boost. Celtic have owned the first half, really, the, the, the last two matches. Mm-hmm. Um that one at Ibrox at New Year especially, was that diamond that worked though, wasn't it? Because it was. they never gave Rangers a second. But it was the, the, that pressure they were putting on the, the ball every time McGregor went short. Um, Tavernier, who was at the back that day? Tavernier, Barisic, Goulton. They, they never got a second when they were on it and it worked so well for Celtic up until uh, probably midway through the second half when it all started to unravel. For that reason, you would wonder if uh, John Kennedy would be perhaps uh, tempted to try that again. But I don't think the, mid- the diamond has really been his 
what what he's gone with since he took over through Neil Lennon. So yeah, I thoroughly expect him Celtic to go to Ibrox for this four five one four two three one whatever you want to call it. And I think he will be whether James Forrest is fit. Uh, if he is, the battle between him and Borna Barisic, which we've not seen this season at all, that will be interesting. That'll be huge and could very well determine um, who comes out on top. Um, if Barisic can peg Forrest back and stop him getting in behind, as you say, perhaps that could be key to, to, to Rangers winning. But um, I think the wide areas, if Rangers can get at the Celtic full-backs, um, I think that is key to Rangers getting that victory the weekend. Andy, is there anything in this discussion over Rangers' performances in the last two games? Because... Yeah, the, the, in neither time were Rangers really under significant pressure, given the advantage that they built up in the league, to to go and really take the game to Celtic. They could, as I was sort of alluding to when I last commented, they could just sit back, feel out the game. They weren't under t- pressure to go and tactically take that game to Celtic. But now, because this is a cup game that they need to win, because it's at Ibrox... Is there a sense that we're going to see the real Rangers step up this time? There's no excuses for that not to be the case. Well, I think the conditions are certainly more in their favour than they've been previously. I mean, I think I think last time I was on, I was saying that obviously the game in January, the onus was on Celtic to go and get a result just because of how far they were behind uh, in the table at the time. Um, it was their sort of last throw of the dice to, to sort of rescue the title race. Um and then as for the game at Parkhead a couple of, a few weeks back, obviously Rangers were just coming off of that sort of such an emotionally draining evening. Uh, only three days before against uh, Slavia Prague, both with the, the the way that they sort of crashed out of Europe and also the the all the sort of racism uh, stuff that that followed that the alleged racism stuff that followed that. Um, I think this time obviously Rangers have they've had uh, a few weeks off. Uh, they've had with, with the international break they then had a nice sort of easy enough uh, Scottish Cup tie against Cove they've then had a decent enough test against Hibs last week and then they've had a full week going into the game this weekend to prepare so you know everything is going in Rangers favour at the moment you know couple of injury concerns obviously um, even if, if they can get Tavernier back to full fitness then you know you, you'll think of that pretty much at full strength um, so the scene is set for them to go out and make a good display. I mean, obviously Celtic will. This is also Celtic's, you know, this is all Celtic have got left to play for this season. So you can guarantee that they'll be coming out all guns blazing as much as they can. But you know, if Rangers can get back to the levels that they showed, um, especially in the first game at Celtic Park back in uh, October, then I think that'll be hard for Celtic to deal with because Rangers that day were were streets ahead of Celtic. So that'll be the emphasis. Stephen Gerrard's team is like, let's get back to full flowing you know uh, fluid best that we showed um, back in the early part of the season um, I think what's been impressive about Rangers this season is just how robust they've been even when they've not played well they've got results they've found a way to win um, end of the day I, th- I think no matter what uh, how Rangers play uh, if, if Rangers find themselves in the quarter final that's all Stephen Gerrard will, will really care about to be honest how much pressure, Fraser, is Steven Gerrard actually under here? Because, you know, he's won the biggest piece of silverware that he could possibly win. He's immortalised himself at the club. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, should he go out to Celtic, 
there will be a lot of people saying it's one and nine. And we all know that at Rangers, it's about not what you've done in the past, but what you do next. Because the club is of the size where winning is all that really matters. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute that Steven Gerrard would be in any trouble. What, What I just mean is, would that then become something that's hanging over them going into the next season? You know, that that it's just that one in nine, that there needs to be a cup win in there of some sort. Because let's be honest, he has struggled a little bit in the cups. You know, he's had five cup campaigns and only one of them has led to a final. We don't know how this sixth one's going to pan out, but that's not a great record for a Rangers manager at this stage, is it? Well, if there is pressure on Gerard, I can guarantee it will all be coming from within because mm-hmm. there's nobody hungrier or more determined to keep stamping home this um, potential dominance they've got over Celtic than Steven Gerrard. I think uh, you can discount the first six of that nine because it was all about trying to close the gap, which it did. And I, he suffered a few cup blows to, to certainly to Aberdeen, I remember, in the, the first season. Um, so that will hurt. But as, as you say, it's all about what happens now. And I think even if they did go out to Celtic, which I don't think they will at the weekend. Even if they did, th- this season would have to go down as a as a huge success. I mean, they stopped ten in a row. That was the mission. That was above all else what they had to achieve this season, and they've done it before. They've done it with more style than I think anyone could have imagined. Absolutely. It doesn't matter if Celtic imploded or not. So. The fact that season on season Rangers have taken strides forward at home and abroad, I don't think from the outside Stephen Gerrard will be under any pressure. I think he himself will be placing uh, demands on his players again and demands on himself to ensure they do go and lift the Scottish Cup. And as I say, really, really um, take the opportunity to stamp home this dominance they've got. Um, plunder the Scottish Cup for Parkhead and leave Celtic with absolutely nothing to show for the season. Um, Rangers have been that ruthless under under Steven Gerrard and that, that, I think, is why they will go on and win on Sunday. Andy, do you think they'll be able to do the the double? I think they're certainly the favourites. I mean, it's hard to... <laughs> It's hard to say that a team that's 20-odd points uh, clear at the top of the table won't be with favourites. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, just as I said earlier on, I think the fact that all the ingredients are there for them to have a better sort of build-up to the game. Uh, if they clear week, you know, injuries are sort of reducing, um, you know, you know the, the incentive of, you know, getting their first double for, you know, I think it was 2009. Um, it's all there for them to go and, you know, put on a good display. So I would be surprised if, if we saw another sort of passive display like we did uh, the, the last time. I mean, that was so understandable, just given what had gone on three days before. This this should be a game where Rangers come out fresh, full of energy uh, and determined to sort of go on and march into that, that quarterfinal. I, w- I would think that Rangers, that'll be the approach from Rangers. They'll want to go out and not so much make a statement, but certainly put their stamp their authority onto the game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Fraser, I'm going to ask you for a prediction, a scoreline. Well, I fired my prediction into the paper for uh, for Saturday's paper. So I, I can't really go and, uh, and reveal all now, can I? <laughs> you, you're going to have to give us an exclusive, Fraser. Right, Come on. Uh, 2-1. 2-1 to Rangers. And you, Andy, what do you reckon? I can see a 2-0 Rangers victory. 
Yeah, well, I, I really absolutely despise myself for doing this, but I'm going oh, to have I. to agree with Andy Newport, which is something I've not wow. often said on this podcast. Wow. I think it's going to be 2 all Rangers as well. I, I think we're going to be in line for a, for a really good Rangers performance. I'm just getting the, the feeling that, as you say, Andy, um, there's a good build-up this time. There's a decent amount of time between this game and the last. And I think Rangers at home, uh, an absolute fortress, 17 games in the league unbeaten. Um, well, well, they've won 17 games only and only three, three goals conceded. Yeah, incredible, remarkable in itself. Yeah, uh, so so I think they will be uh, a comfortable. They'll take a comfortable win. Although you know Celtic are not to be sniffed at. They have got very very good players, and if Rangers don't take them absolutely seriously, then I think they will have a have a problem. But we will find out how it's Johnny, going to go. Johnny. Yes. Just as a wee extra incentive, what would you think yeah. about the fans' story? Do you, do you think um, do you think the Scottish Cup final should be moved away from Hamden to allow even a hint of hope that fans could get into into the final? I'm just, I'm just reading about that again. Obviously, Alan McCoy's came out and said it should be moved to Ibrox or Parkhead, depending on either of the big two getting to the final. Um, of course, abs- absolutely. But I do understand that, that this is a bit of a... A misnomer this entire story because I believe that um, certainly if you believe um, Daryl Broadfoot who was on talking about this on uh, BBC Radio Scotland I think last week he said that um, effectively Jason Leach had, had spoken out of school and that the government policy or the government decision making was that the Euro 2020 would be the start of having crowds back so there was never any intention on having fans back prior to that point and, and not at the Scottish Cup final. So, so I think there was a communication down between a communication breakdown between Jason Leach um, and uh, the, the SFA or whatever around that. But I mean, if it was possible, and certainly it seems like the the country is advancing forward and doing well when it comes to the vaccination program and, and subsequently, obviously, case rates of COVID then absolutely they should move the game. If it's possible to get fans in, they should move it and they should have fans in because everyone deserves the boost that that would bring. And and, and the games are just not the same without the fans. And I'm sure if there was 12,000 fans or even 10,000 fans uh, at a game like that, it would feel like there was about 50 compared to any other game given we've not had those fans in the ground for so long. Well, watch this space. Oh, it sounds like you've got a wee uh, exclusive uh, tucked away under your belt there, Fraz. What, what do you make of that, Andy, just before we go? About the possibility of letting fans into the, into the stadiums? Yeah. For the cup final? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I find it hard to believe that if you can let 12,000 fans into Hamden for the start of the Euros, that you can't allow some degree or some number of fans in for a cup final... Um, a few weeks, you know, before that, uh, perhaps a test event or, or, or something like that. Um, yeah, if they're worried about the fact that UEFA are going to be in charge of these stadiums, um, and that they might not have uh, the ability to host it because UEFA are sort of have taken control of them, then they play it elsewhere. I mean, I think you know, in the day, Scottish football fans have contributed enough over this last year in order to keep their clubs afloat, I think it would be a very small gesture them doing this to allow, uh, to repay the support and the backing that has basically kept Scottish football afloat um, over the last 12 months. 
Absolutely. Okay, guys, we're going to call it a day there. If you want to get in touch with us to continue the debate, you can. I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane on Twitter. You can get Andy, Andy at Andy Newport PA. And of course, Fraser, you are at Dunhamer. Is that right? Aye. <laughs> Doesn't like his Twitter handle passed around. Um, but there you go. By, by all means, get in touch. If you can go online and give the podcast a five-star review, that would be much appreciated. You can do that at any of the podcast platforms, including the likes of iTunes and Google. Until next time, thanks for listening.